Shall we move on to the next topic? Why am I drinking more at the moment? Because <laughs> you're an alcoholic. <laughs> In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects. That's Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. My name is Hunter Morkhead. And I'm Amy Donaldson. We continue on in this episode with our Coping with COVID series. We have done a couple of episodes already. And tonight's episode, we are going to be talking about coping with a mental health problem during the time of COVID. So we are going to talk through a range of mental health problems and a couple of other social situations that people may be experiencing. And we are going to talk about why people might be experiencing difficulties with that problem at the moment and then how we as psychologists might work with that. We are going to keep with the chatty vibe. We've had some good feedback from that. We did part one and part two of the Coping with COVID series, talked a lot about anxiety and coping with that at this time. So we're not going to talk so much about anxiety, but we're going to talk about OCD, so obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, drug and alcohol problems, eating disorders, family conflict, ADHD, and parental guilt. So, you know, upbeat. <laughs> As always. Upbeat. Uh, but we're going to try and keep it nice and practical. So this, this podcast won't be the definitive last word if you have any of these problems, but it might give you a starting point or help you understand someone else who's got this kind of problem. So with COVID, I think Amy and I have seen that there's a real need to talk about how psychologists would work with stuff and the mental health side of COVID is really starting to come to the fore. And I think everyone has had this shared experience of like, it's kind of been difficult for Mm. a whole of different reasons. Mm. Yeah, I think everybody has been struggling and that certainly for the people who are already accessing mental health help, then they have all been reporting that things are getting worse as as a general rule, that stuff's harder to cope with now than what it normally would be. Yeah, I think my experience has been my patients have said, oh, it's different to cope with Mm. and they have to be more creative around the ways in which they do stuff. And some stuff's been easier as well, but I think it it, it just has changed everything. So, you know, as psychologists, we see a need for giving people information and support, but then we're also, you know, I think we both find this kind of interesting Mm. to think about and talk through. And I'm actually quite interested to ask you, Amy, a few questions here about different topics and stuff like that. The other thing that, just a little bit off topic, but Amy and I have been doing this podcast for three years now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we started it in 2017 and we're 58 episodes in. So it's kind of... It's huge. It's, it's quite, quite satisfying and we really, really enjoy it. So for people who have listen to some or the bulk of what we've done you know thanks for listening i said to amy when we started let's try and do 10 mm. and she was like what we're doing a podcast yeah it was a surprise to me <laughs> uh so uh, before we get started of course rate review the show if you can subscribe to us tell someone about the pod if you are finding them useful interesting please contact us if you've got some questions or thoughts about what we've said or what you would like us to cover. Do you have thoughts? Hmm. No. no. Amy's, Amy's <laughs> 58 episodes in, she's just like, no. No, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so the structure of the pod is going to be that we're going to discuss the disorder or just give a little summation around the disorder and then we're going to ask each other questions around, you know, why something might be triggered right now and 
how a psychologist might talk to you about coping with it or how you might be able to get some relief with it. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to wrap up with a little bit of a discussion about how to help people around you with any mental health stuff. We're not breaking that down by disorder because we realise that would be quite repetitive. So shall we get to it? Yeah, sure. Let's get to it. So the first thing we're going to talk about is obsessive compulsive disorder. It's commonly misunderstood Mm. disorder. So give me a quick description of what OCD is. So what it is, it's usually a pair of, of symptoms broadly speaking. So it's a bunch of thoughts that come into your head repeatedly that don't fit with who you are and that are quite distressing. And then it's a bunch of strategies to be able to cope with those thoughts. And so the thoughts are the obsessions and then the how you cope with it are the compulsions. And it's possible to just have the thoughts, but OCD more typically are those two parts together. Yeah. So the classic OCD scenario is fears of contamination Mm. and then washing your hands a lot. So, Amy, (laughs) why might that have been triggered a lot at the moment? (laughs) I can't understand why at all, really. It's it's completely unrelated to the current public messaging and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that there's a couple of components to why it's worse at the moment. Part of it is for someone who has fears around contamination, this is their biggest nightmare, that there's a unknown mystery disease that is spreading easily we don't know how quickly and that it's harmful and so all of the public messaging which obviously we do need to be washing our hands and things like that but if you're anxious and already washing your hands a lot or already afraid of already afraid so you might use a paper cup over a door handle exactly in your own home yeah to avoid contamination like yeah it'll be quite severe yeah and so the thing about ocd is it can take up a lot of time and these rituals can be things like going to the bathroom washing your hands we're all on board with that but washing your hands 20 times when you're in the bathroom and going through the process of washing it drying your hands then going well i think they might be dirty again and repeating that is time consuming and unhelpful yeah so we're talking about that end of things and so i think some of the messaging around washing your hands and things like that it ups it a bit for some people that's what i should be doing but perhaps i should be doing it more yeah. how much is enough so what, what really what you're sort of saying there is it, it's triggering the obsessional bit absolutely yeah and then the other thing is is that the underlying aspect of ocd is about using a bunch of behavioral things or thought controlling mechanisms to manage your anxiety if i do this if i wash my hands enough then this big thing that i fear this obsession that i'm having won't come true and those obsessions are worse when you're anxious and so if you're stressed by what's going on and worried about what's going on then it's going to perform a sort of self-fulfilling loop there and keep on feeding on itself yeah yeah Yeah. interesting although i did have a family member they were already quite anxious about this stuff before mm. COVID came in and they were like this is great because this is what I've wanted to, <laughs> yeah. to be doing for ages. I have had a couple of clients say that of going see I was right. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the way I think about OCD and someone with OCD maybe having a problem at the moment is that there's two cases of OCD I'm thinking about broadly mm. speaking. One is the person with anxiety around contamination mm. and hand washing and avoiding avoiding going out and being anxious about you know doing all the the compulsive things that they might do around Mm. avoiding contact with people and being very, very terrified. And then I think the other group would be someone who's got OCD, but it's not contamination related. Yeah. So that would be like someone who would check things, check that the doors are locked Mm. or 
and the windows are locked or those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, so, like there's a there's a great TV show if you're interested in this topic called Pure, which was released last year that we talked about it on the Sykes on Film Pod. And yeah. she has compulsive sexual thoughts and then she has a range of thought processes she has to go through to manage it. Yeah. It's not an external thing. It's ritualistic in that way. Yeah. So my question is, take me through, how would you work with someone or what might be important for someone who's got the fears of contamination stuff? And then we'll talk about mm-hmm. someone who might have the non-contamination fear. I think it's a bit about breaking down about what someone is frightened of and how that's playing out in their life. Because if you ask someone how many times you're washing your hands a day, most people will give you a rough number, but it might not actually capture it. You really need to break it down into into pieces. So someone might say, I'm washing my hands 10 times a day. You sort of go, okay. But then when you break down that each one of those instances is actually 20 times of washing your hands, then you get a real sense of what's going on. So I think it's assessing what it's like now and what it's been like before Mm -hmm. and breaking it down about where where risk actually comes from in COVID because I think what's generally happening is the anxiety is going up and then it's spreading to I need to make sure that I wash my hands before I touch my face every time even when I've been in my house on my own and I haven't seen anyone and I've washed my hands quite a few times before yeah I still might be at risk so it's breaking it down and trying to control some of those impulses yes I mean I think it's worth saying that treatment for OCD is behavioral yeah so the you don't try and rationalize and talk through like you might Mm. do with some other anxieties or some other stuff the way that you do is you would say, oh, okay, well, someone's washing their hands 10 times every hour or, mm. or whatever it might be. Then treatment-wise, you would say, all right, well, you need, let's just get that lower. Yeah. Right. And so you don't, you don't really engage in discussion so much. So I think what you would do from where you're going is you would sort of have a discussion around, okay, well, when is it important mm. to wash your hands from a realistic perspective? Yeah. And then how can we try and get what you're doing in line with that so if you're if you are someone with ocd or you're living with someone with ocd trying to engage them on a discussion of like you're being ridiculous is probably that that's not a good idea you know it's about i guess saying all right well once we're inside the house Mm. and we're clean then and we're sort of set up you know it can be obsessional in that process go for it but once you're home let's just be let's let's wind it back and for quite a lot of people, they're quite frightened about the idea of reducing those number of times. And so often, I don't know about you, but the first step for me with teenagers in particular is that I get them to delay for the length of their favorite song. And so they'll play their favorite song and they'll sit with the anxiety about not washing their hands for that period of time. And then we gradually increase the delay or decrease the amount of times that they're doing it it's kind of getting a little bit of space in there so that they've got a bit of option that it's not something where they need to rush out of the room and go and wash their hands immediately they can pace it slow it down talk to me about someone who's got a checking ocd Mm. or a different ocd why might that ocd be peaking at the moment or if they're finally peaking what can they do about it i think it comes back to that anxiety and control stuff when everything feels out of control when life is uncertain and when a lot of people are anxious at the moment with what's going on with COVID that then if you've already got a mental health condition there that is exacerbated by stress or anxiety or things like that 
it's going to be tipped off. It's bound to be harder at the moment. And then... Yes, I mean, I think about like, you know, in the old school, it's a coping mechanism, essentially. Yeah. People with OCD do these behaviours because it helps them in the short term live in the world. Mm. Long term, it has problems. But if you're not coping so well, checking things more frequently or something Mm. like that. It makes you feel more in control of what could happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right depression mm-hmm. so what about if you're talking to someone who's feeling flat or down how can they get out of it we talked a little bit about this in the first two pods mm. part one and part two um, where my mind goes is behavioral mm. and looking really at mastering pleasure activities yeah and making sure that people have a routine so when i talk about mastering pleasure activities i say to my clients i say well mastery is washing the dishes it's vacuuming, mm. it's doing the washing. So things that... It's getting something done. Yeah, things that aren't necessarily that enjoyable, but when you do them, you have a sense of accomplishment and the benefit of them also means that things don't mount up, mm. right? So that's a good thing, right? Mm. So you, you feel more in control of your life. Side note, I used to work in a cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going and, with this. <laughs> and uh, for all of my university days... And we would have uh, like these backpack vacuums <laughs> and vacuuming popcorn is in, is just one of the most satisfying <laughs> experiences you can ever have. <laughs> what I love about that example is that, you know, there's a few times, more than a few times you've told me about what could be the most satisfying <laughs> thing that you've done. And it's always that example. <laughs> but, I mean, but, it's a good, but, but all jokes aside, it's a good thing to remember, like, I mean, you can actually make housework enjoyable and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to our pod or other podcasts whilst they're doing the housework. Mm. Folding, washing and a podcast is one of life's great pleasures, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, But, and so, I mean, I think it's really important to do that and I think it's really important to have pleasure activities. So that is, well, I mean, it can be anything really, Mm. but you know, the classic is watching a movie. Yeah. Or reading a book. Yeah. Right. And more often than not, people who are depressed they're they're not doing one hmm. or or they're not doing both of those is what hmm. i my experience has been hmm. and there's a lot of evidence that shows that just behaviorally activating people and getting them to do things is really important yeah and so it almost if you're not doing very much it's it's, it's important to just do stuff hmm. if you are busy doing things then it's important to look at well what are the things you're doing if that makes sense it does because i think that it's interesting when you you talk to people there a lot of people are saying well you know i'm really flat but all i'm doing is you know watching tv or stuff like that and if it's not actually if that activity isn't giving you enjoyment then it kind of doesn't count as one of those pleasurable activities Mm. you know it's having a think about what it is that taps into that. Yeah, are you doing that too much? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the symptoms, there's nine symptoms of depression. One of the main symptoms, well, one of the common symptoms is fatigue. Mm. So when you're fatigued, we, you know, you just want to rest, yeah. right? And and also sleep, too much oversleep, mm. hypersomnia is a symptom of depression. But the way you manage fatigue is to make someone more active. Mm. So and people might roll their eyes at that, but to take a cancer example, yeah, I know I always talk about cancer, but... <laughs> People, women or men who are having chemotherapy, I was going to say women because I work with breast cancer patients, Mm. the way that we help people manage their fatigue from chemotherapy or radiotherapy, you know, in in some situations where people are quite unwell from Mm. their treatment is to get them active, like get them physically walking around the block Mm. and doing stuff. And 
you know, if cancer patients can do it, yeah. then you can do it. And you certainly find that even if it's, oh, I can't go for the run that I used to because of X, Y, or Z, sure. <laughs> but you can walk down in straight yeah. and the next day you can walk down two streets. And you can build it up gradually. Yeah, and build it up gradually. Mm. And you will f- you will feel better. Mm. Will you feel amazing? Mm, it's I not magic. Know. Not sure. <laughs> but will it will the mood increase from a one to a two out mm. of ten? Yeah, potentially. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. And there's other flow on effects from that stuff. So mm. those are those are the main things. I think I mean uh, mm. from a behavioural kind of perspective. Yeah. There's the there's the negative thoughts component of depression and mm-hmm. that's so they talk about the cognitive triad which is negative thoughts about the self mm-hmm. you know i'm no good i'm not very i'm not living up to the standards i want or you know there's something wrong with me there's the world like the world's a horrible place you know i can't get ahead there's there's no hope for me mm. and then the final one is about the future like there's no hope for me there's mm. you know my future is stuffed now you can see how this situation would be pretty easy to have negative thoughts about all of those things. Yeah. Particularly like you're a parent and you don't feel like you're doing a good enough job mm. or, you know, you're not seeing your friends, you're not calling your family even though you're stuck in the house all day and mm. you feel like you're a terrible person or you haven't learned a second language or, <laughs> you know, cleaned out all the things that you said you would mm. if you ever had time. So, mm. you know, a therapist would normally look at what those thoughts are and kind of really be like, so let's go a bit easier on that. Or like, are we catastrophizing or being mm. black and white? So, I mean, that's a, that's a crash course in depression. Yeah. Do you have other thoughts? I think that one of the things is getting outside if you can. And if you can't, then opening curtains and things like yeah. that. It's certainly something if I do a home assessment, that's the first thing that I notice. <laughs> if I, you know, walk in somewhere and it's darker inside than it is outside. I'm always curious about, about that, both for the sort of vitamin D aspect of things yeah. but then also being able to to feel like you're in the world yeah it's really important to get outside once mm. a day and i think in sunlight you know there's a lot of research about seasonal affective disorder so exactly particularly in north america where their, their winters are darker than well i guess in australia mm. Yeah, And then that helps with your sleep as well, getting that feedback about what's happening outside in yeah. terms of the time of day and things like that. So that's one. There's a bunch of online resources that you can access that have guided treatment or workbooks that you can go through. Some of them then have links to mental health professionals who you can speak to as well. And there's a lot more of those these days. There's been a whole lot of them released in the COVID times. Yeah. So if you're needing to work through some of that stuff with what, a bit of support. What would you Google? Uh, you could Google CBT for depression online yeah. and all of them follow that CBT model. So they're yeah. looking at those same thoughts and behaviours yeah. that Hunter yeah. talked about. Yeah, definitely. So the next one would be, so someone who's got a history of trauma or someone's been diagnosed with PTSD, mm-hmm. so post-traumatic stress disorder. So we, just as a caveat, we've noticed in the news and some people will have noticed that and maybe living this experience at the moment, which is that there has been an increase in family violence mm. and risky situations for people and people being at risk at the moment. When we're talk, going to talk about, when I'm going to ask Amy these questions, we're not talking about that situation. So we're talking about people who say we're in a car accident or had a sexual assault when they were younger, we're in a bank robbery or that kind of thing. Or who had previous 
family violence or other things yeah. like that, but not current, yeah. not currently at risk. So we were talking about, so people who've got the scenario of they've experienced trauma, if you're experiencing risk and experiencing violence, it's really important to try and get some help, uh, get in contact with a local service provider, your doctor or your local crisis service, they are all still open. Mm. So a lot of people are not coming forward because they think that everything's shut down or you know, potentially it's hard for them to do it because it's risky at mm. home because they can't get out. But that's our caveat. Mm. Sorry to be a bit of a downer. <laughs> but so, Amy, for someone who's got a past history of trauma, what might be coming up for them at the moment? Because this is this was sort of something I was thinking about was like, well, you know, would that necessarily be bad for them mm. at the moment? Like being able to stay home and be safe, that might be kind of good. Yeah, I think there's there's quite a few things. One thing is the feeling of being trapped can be a trigger for a lot of people. So feeling like you don't have control or choice over what you're doing or where you're going, that's often a trigger for people. Other people have triggers around medical procedures. So the idea that they might have to have a COVID test or that they might have to have treatment can be quite frightening. The idea of being powerless in that sense. Yeah. There's also a risk of danger at home, which, you know, we're not going to go into too much, but a lot of people who have had past trauma have current as well. Um, And so things can be a little bit more volatile at home. And then there's also a lack of access to ways that you might usually look Mm -hmm. after yourself. So for a lot of my clients, the way that they regulate their trauma symptoms is physical activity, sport, going to music lessons, things like that. Seeing friends. Seeing friends, yeah. And those things aren't there. Um, and then the last thing is I referenced the same Bessel van der Kolk thing in our first two COVID episodes, but it's worth watching if you have a history of trauma. We've got a link to his his video, but it talks about how a lot of the things that are going on at the moment are sort of preconditions that set up a good environment for trauma to happen so you know you're disconnected from people you're still you don't have as much connection to your body because you're not able to exercise as much all of those things so i think it's kind of a perfect storm you're a little detached yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean so when we're talking about trauma people have a couple of different symptoms Mm. there's avoidance of anything that's threatening although or related they have hyper arousal so the classic one is like their startle reflex mm-hmm. is really really high and so loud bangs loud noises and they'll react quite quickly to that mm. but they also can have re re-experiencing re-experience of the event so that classically can be flashbacks mm. nightmares mm. or just heightened anxiety around triggers of the event and then there's also the other end of the hypo arousal and the shutting off and going quite still yep. and disconnected and i've certainly noticed more of that in my client base the lately component. yeah and i think it's a little bit of that mixture of the flat mood about not being able to do things mm. and then already having a tendency to go that direction when stressed yeah and what's interesting about PTSD is that you look at the symptoms and they look like they'd be quite easy to identify as a clinician, Mm. but PTSD often gets missed as depression. Mm. And I certainly have treated someone for many people and then down the track you go, oh, hang on, you know, this depression's not shifting. 
and then for whatever reason a trauma gets disclosed and then you realize that it's been a PTSD Mm. it's a trauma symptom so why that's important is that often with people with post-traumatic stress still you need need to do sort of that mood lifting behavioral activation Mm. stuff as a baseline thing before you can even kind of get to yeah. getting to treating those trauma symptoms and things yeah. like that. So it's a from a clinical perspective, it's a fascinating disorder. Mm. Uh, it's not so much fun if you've got it. No. <laughs> I think it's a way. Yeah. Next topic, why am I drinking more at the moment? Because it's awesome. <laughs> and this is not the self-help portion of the podcast. <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah. Uh, there is truth to that. So my first job was working in a drug and alcohol clinic in a dodgy part of the inner city (laughs) and yeah so i worked you know with all sort of different drug problems but alcohol is the most frequently abused substance in society Mm. and it's really quite damaging and harmful even though a lot of the other drugs get attention uh that's it i do drink Mm. i do enjoy drinking and i think the thing about drinking is you've got to remember is that it is actually enjoyable and that's Mm. why we do it Mm. so why are people drinking more? I think there's lots of different reasons. One is it's a good way to relax. Physiologically, you relax. Hmm. It kind of can give you some energy as well. One of the problems that people who have a drinking problem or develop a drinking problem is that they will drink, say, before a meal, hmm. right? And then you can consume a lot because it's actually it relaxes you physiologically. It makes you feel a bit better, right? Perks you up. Yeah. And then that's how habit can form. Hmm. So why are people drinking more can be to do with well a habit can form without really realizing it so people might have enjoyed a drink but they're drinking more because they're at home they finish their homeschooling or their work or whatever and they've got easy access to Mm. alcohol uh, if you've got it in the house more so than perhaps driving home uh, you know or they don't have anything else on and so maybe they're filling their hours sitting in front of the couch or things like that so Mm. You know, one of the things when you're working in drug and alcohol is to reduce access to people's substance and that, like, gun control, like, mm. reduces <laughs> yeah. reduces it, right? It's hard to get drunk if you don't have any alcohol in the house. Yeah. It's harder, I should say. Mm. I mean, you can be creative, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. But I always wonder about why people don't abuse Chinese cooking wine. <laughs> but anyway... See, that, that makes an assumption that people don't. Yeah, think. I guess that's true. Maybe they do. So, I think... So, there's... Well, I sort of think about like access, I think it's boredom, mm. I think it's enjoyment, but also there's just the, the stress mm. component. People typically will overestimate the role of stress in drinking. Mm. So if you've got someone who's got a drinking problem, you say, oh, so why do you drink? They say, oh, I drink because I'm stressed. I drink because I've got low mood. And you go, all right, so let's have a look at your drinking this past week. Um, so when did you get drunk? Uh, I, you know, drank on this night and this night. So, so what were we doing on Friday night? Oh, I was out with my mates hmm. or I was having a Zoom yeah. drinks or whatever. And so were you unhappy then? Oh, no, I was having a great time. <laughs> okay. So there will be instances where people are more likely to drink because their stress levels are high or higher over the week or the day. But it's worth well, thinking about it. So the way I think about reducing that, like if you think you're having... If you think your alcohol consumption has gone up and you're not happy with that, mm. then well, you can either just abstain or abstain for a day. Mm. And I think a good good thing to do would be to go, all right, I'm going to have a day where I don't drink. And if that is hard for you to do, mm. 
then you probably need to think about having more of those alcohol-free days yeah. because that's probably a sign that things are a bit running away. Mm. And then I think it's thinking about, well, are you someone that's going to be able to control your drinking? It's frequently quite hard to do that. Mm. What happens? Really, do you want me to give you a crash course? Yeah, go for it. So your frontal lobes control... like oh, Yes, you're going neuro. Yep. <laughs> so they do your send inhibition signals to your brain, right? So anytime you think of a rude or potentially sexually or racially inappropriate comment mm. at work or at school, that's your frontal lobes going, don't do that. Mm. But that's going to get you into trouble. And even though it would be really, really funny. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And when you're drinking, you say, you know what? I'm only going to have one glass of wine tonight. Or I'm only going to have two glasses of wine tonight. Hmm. But alcohol, the function of alcohol shuts down the frontal lobes. So what happens in the start of a party? Everyone's kind of timid and they don't really do anything and no one's talking to anyone. They have a few drinks. Mm. What's happening? Someone's screaming shots. Shots. <laughs> and you know, you know, everyone's kind of getting a little crazy and mm. someone's climbing over the fence to get the lemons from the next door neighbor's tree and, you know, lots yeah. of stuff, right? Yeah. And that's people becoming more relaxed and that's their frontal lobes not sending that restrictive message. And so why that's important is it means that you lose control of your drinking. Mm. In, in that moment. So the trick is to drink l- less than that so before that process happens. The problem is if you are a drinker, mm. then that process can happen after one drink. Yeah. Right? You get primed. Your, your brain is primed for it. So for many people, they say, oh, I want to control my drinking. But realistically, that may not be possible. Mm. So it's about, well, I'm going to drink two days a week or three days a week and do it that way. Hmm. So, I mean, that, those are kinds of ways I do it. The the hunter's top tip. <laughs> sure. <laughs> are we trademarking this? Or? I, mean, I was saying, <laughs> saying that in the other part, we should have a sound effect. Yeah. Um, Ding. Is, is food. Hmm. So if you make sure, if you're going to drink, make sure you've, you've eaten something first hmm. because frequently... Or if you're feeling like a drink and you're not sure and you're trying to not drink, have some food mm. because it could be that physiological bit. And really, all you're trying to do is get past a craving of about half an hour, half an hour. If I told you, don't ever drink again, Amy, mm. you'd die. <laughs> <laughs> or, you'd, or you'd look shocked. Yeah. But if I said, I don't drink for half an hour, yeah, it's do fine. you reckon you can do it? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I think the only thing that popped into my head about like why now, as you were talking, I was thinking about the amount of people I've heard say, well, I'm not having any fun at the moment, so I may as well. Mm, All of my other options. Yeah. yeah, All of my other options are gone, so I may as well have a few drinks. Yeah. I think it's far more socially acceptable at the moment to drink at home than what it usually would be yeah as well there's more of a culture around it yeah well, particularly it, in australia in australia i don't i can't speak for other places yeah yep yeah i mean we had to put limits on it at our bottle shops and they were ridiculously high i, I was in i was in i went in actually ventured into a bottle shop just the other day and it was like limit four cases of beer yeah <laughs> like and two bottles of spirits oh and yeah. yeah anyway yep so that's uh that's hunter's drug and alcohol, and I mean and the, and the same principles apply to other drugs, but yeah, I think alcohol is probably the main one for people. Mm. Yeah. 
continuing on with the theme of substances, but like eating, mm-hmm. I certainly know I've been eating more. And so the question we sort of thought about is like someone might ha- used to have their eating under control. Mm-hmm. Why might someone be binging, which is eating a lot in a short setting? Mm-hmm. Or why might someone be restricting? So not eating mm-hmm. again. Why, why might why might someone's eating become dysfunctional at this time? Mm-hmm. One of the most basic things is the same as for OCD. A lot of eating disorders are on a basis of trying to get control over something when you don't feel like you're in control of things more generally. So, you know, I can't control what's going on in my life. I can't control what's happened to me, but I can control how much I eat. So I think when people feel out of control or things are anxiety provoking, then that's going to come up. There's been a few people who specialise in this area talking about how the shortage of food can actually contribute to this. So that either people are stockpiling food because they're worried about what might happen and then binging on it because more is available than Mm, what they usually mm, would have. mm, Or the limits on what they can buy means that it's sort of a rationalisation for why you have to cut out that food group. So I couldn't possibly eat carbs at the moment because you you can't get much pasta or Mm. flour or things like that. So I'm going to cut that out. So it facilitates some of those restrictions of entire food groups. Uh, The other thing is, is that there aren't as many of the check-ins from other people that you might usually have. You're not going out for lunch or dinner or things like that with friends. You don't have as many people going, hey, I noticed that you didn't eat today or... What do you mean you're not hungry again? Things like that. Or I can finish off my child's cheesy macaroni even though I've had my meal. Exactly. Yeah. Hypothetically. (laughs) Hypothetically. (laughs) So, yeah. great. (laughs) Worth it? (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) But yeah, I think there are a lot of different factors about why this is coming up. And I'm noticing that it's coming up in the context of a whole bunch of different things that we've talked about at the moment. So how do we deal with that though? Like so So the like, yeah. Hypothetically, like help me stop binging on my children's chocolate <laughs> in the house. It's a really tricky one and I think it depends on the severity. One of the things that's really tricky around eating disorders as well is that having an eating disorder can you can put you at greater risk of getting physically unwell. And particularly with COVID stuff, the eating disorder foundations are really concerned about people's health who restrict their food and things like that. So if you're at that end of it, then definitely it comes back to that seeking help from professionals side of things. If it's the other end of things where it's eating too much chocolate or cooking yourself a few more meals than you usually would then I think it mirrors some of the alcohol stuff. Thinking about where your line is, thinking about what's okay for you, what's what's not. Doing some of those things of having a glass of water if you think that you're ravenously hungry and seeing whether actually you were thirsty. Those basic behavioral things. Mm. Boredom, I think, is a big one for overeating. Mm. And so doing something. So a lot of these things you'll see really overlap. The mood stuff, the behavioural stuff, it all all interconnects. Yeah, and I think with overeating, so not binging Mm. per se, but boredom is an important thing. But also if you're not doing that much or you're not doing your usual routine then and then you're near the kitchen, Mm. like... Or you're walking past the kitchen, go to the bathroom rather than say at work, you just you the bathroom would be somewhere else. 
that can then make it very, very easy. So one of the things you can do is to try and plan when you're next going to eat. Mm. Although that can actually backfire because you can become sort of obsessed with food and then yeah. just go and eat. <laughs> uh, so you need to experiment with that. Mm. But planning out sort of, all right, well, this is likely what I'm going to try and eat today. Thinking about if you're eating something and you finished that meal, finished a sandwich... Mm. And that was really all you were planning on eating, but you're still hungry. The thing to do is to wait, say, 20 minutes. Mm. You can go and have a sandwich in 20 minutes' time, mm. but it takes about 20 minutes, half an hour before the message from your stomach to get to your brain. Yeah. Which makes no sense to me. <laughs> right. But the, that's the problem that's- in our society is that we can eat until we feel full mm. rather than eat and then waiting for the natural process of feeling full so mm. the, a good way to, to, to control how much you are consuming is to eat a planned amount and mm. then wait and then if you're still hungry you can make a decision around what you're going to eat mm. i mean that would be the theory yeah. around it yeah. yeah and you want to really want to be avoiding boom and bust food yeah. situations so you want to be regular yeah. around your intake of food and that helps a whole lot Mm. all this stuff yeah and i think for some people as well the people who have trouble at the other end of restricting food or not listening to those hunger signals or things like that is putting in some external cues for things so a bunch of my clients have noticed that their food has gone off because they're not at school and so they're not hearing the bell for lunchtime Mm. and so they're not getting hungry and then they're wondering why they're feeling odd when you know i speak to them at 2 30 and they haven't actually eaten for the day Mm. and so putting in some reminders putting in some some things to prompt you to eat Mm. might be necessary for the people who go the other end of the scale yeah yeah Yeah, exactly all right family conflict Mm -hmm. we thought about a couple of examples for this one when we were talking it over and a little bit like when we spoke about the ptsd issue we want to make it really clear that for this section we're talking about day-to-day low-level family conflict nothing that escalates to the point of family violence so yeah. we're, talking we're, talk- we're talking about bickering kids chucking tantrums garden stuff variety like frustration with with people in your household mm. yeah yeah and the issues that have been cropping up when we've been talking to clients and other people have been around things like one person's at home and one person gets to leave in a couple that one person is quite frustrated that they're stuck at home all of the time mm. or if a family just watch netflix yeah. <laughs> for families that the kids want to talk all the time that they want attention all of the time so why do you think that this is coming up because everyone's in their space <laughs> yeah because, well, I, think, I mean i think really it's all that what would family therapy it'd, it'd be a structural problem yeah the answer really is simple, which is that structurally things have changed. So when you think about structurally, the the structure of the family environment or the home environment, mm. if you want to not want to be wedded to the family thing, mm. is different to what it was pre-COVID. Now, so in some cases, kids might be loving that because there's now both parents are home, mm. or if there's a single parent, they they get more time with that parent, and that can work well. So you the question you asked was there was two to it wasn't there mm. There was the kids and then there was a couple yeah so how to resolve the problem of one person being annoyed that they're stuck at home the other person mm. being out all the time yeah 
Yeah, I mean, that's interesting problem because the person who's out all the time might not actually be having that much fun mm. or they might be kind of going, well, you know, my life kind of hasn't changed that much. Exactly. Why is this person at home whinging so much? Mm. And the person at home... You could see how it cuts both ways. The person at home is like, oh, this is great. Yeah. I don't, my work situation is under control or whatever. And, or it could be that you know, I'm really jealous of the fact I don't, I can't get to do this stuff. Mm. And I'm, I'm frustrated, maybe not necessarily at the person, but frustrated in the situation. And then you become a bit jealous. Mm. So I guess where my mind goes is talking about it a little bit. But really, it's about that behavioral thing of going, all right, well, if that person's stuck at home and they're frustrated about that, then they need something to be done. So they, they need a way to get out. Or if they can't get out, then you need to work out. If they were going to be going out, what would they be getting out of that? Mm. What do they, quote unquote, need? Mm. And then you need to find a way to get that. Yeah. So whether that's enjoyment, whether it's change of scenery, whether that's peace and quiet, mm. whether that's social contact, mm. those kinds of things. And I think that there needs to be an understanding of like working out what's the trigger points in terms of when is it that people are getting angry and cross at each other? Mm. And are you a couple of family that are openly expressive mm. or is it the Cold War <laughs> passive aggressive? Yeah. Are you a withdrawer or pursuer dynamic? So that's the one person notices that the other person is struggling mm. and amps up, Amy, 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 why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you yeah. talking to me? And and Amy's like, she's the withdrawer and she's goes, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Mm. But when the person says, leave me alone, pulls away, mm. the pursuer ups it again. Ups it again. And you can see how that, that creates a real problem. Mm. So I think it's a worthwhile thinking about when is it that you're actually having conflict and both people or parties need to develop a plan around that. So that might be actually talking about that and saying, look, when I come home from work and you haven't talked to anyone all day and my head is full of work, don't talk to me or you're going to need to give me some time, Yeah, 20 minutes of time alone and then I'll be able to talk to you and meet your needs. But if you do that when I come in the door, then it's going to cause conflict, mm. right? And I'm actually, and I'm also not going to be able to meet your need, mm. that kind of thing. So it's about both people having an understanding. Of, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, and I think, but also like if someone's out at work all day, they, they're working, they might not be having much fun. Mm. And they might be jealous of the fact that the other person's at home in trackies. Mm. So mainly I'd be viewing the structural thing, but also if people are exploding, then there needs to be a discussion around if we are in a situation where we're escalated and we're angry and one, if one person says we need to stop stop talking hmm. and we need to revisit this, but we're too cross or you're, someone's too cross, then that's really hard to hmm. do in the moment and it takes some practice. Yeah. And, and the person who's amped up and angry won't want to do that. No. But it's worthwhile trying to do that. Mm. But you need to have talked about that beforehand. Yeah, it can't be in the moment bringing it up for the first time. Yeah. And so the second one was about, <laughs> children. about children who are talking all the time in your face all the time. Yeah, earplugs. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's difficult, man. Mm. You had a good question for me about this. I, I did. I, I was curious whether... You know, as a parent, you'd thought about... No, I hadn't. 
No, sorry, what? <laughs> Whether you'd thought about how many people your kids interact with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, no, not really. Because when you ask kids, how many people did you talk to today? The ones who are at school are speaking to, you know, 30, 60 people a day. Mm. You know, they'll be speaking to everyone in their class a lot of the time, especially the ones who are quite social. And then they'll have a bunch of friends that they only play a particular sport with at lunchtime or they'll have some things where they're sharing time with another class. And so for them, they've gone from having all of that social input Mm. and talking all day to just you. Yeah. So no wonder they're not shutting up and that they're wanting to talk all of the time and wanting to have interaction all the time because most of their week for six, seven hours a day is spent with that constant social input. Mm. And so I think it's really difficult for the ones who enjoy that and who thrive on that to then be with one or two parents or yeah. you know, siblings. or Yeah, yeah so it's a difficult one to manage. Mm. I think... Where you can get some kind of social interaction is mm. good. Yeah. So, I mean, a classic one at the moment is FaceTime mm. or Zoom. Yeah. What's what's good, I think, where we have been able to is you can, we're allowed to go out for exercise. Mm. And so, taking the kids out for a bike ride with someone else's kids going out for a bike ride so you can maintain that social distance mm. and they can just talk about Minecraft for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... You know, that does a lot of good. And, and for the ones who can't get out of their house, there's a whole bunch of kids I'm working with who are doing stuff like they've been assigned sport things that they have to do at home and they're FaceTiming to do those things together. So they're mm. FaceTiming to do some of their schoolwork or to do an activity or a fun thing or whatever. It's not the same, but they're still moving mm. and talking. The, yeah. The the other thing I think about is, I mean, depending on the age of your children, but doing something that involves a lot of talking mm. as a deliberate activity. So the, the, I'm looking at a Monopoly board right now because mm. we played Monopoly today. And yes, of course, like it ended in tears, as it always does. <laughs> That's Monopoly. But that was really good because that helps because you, you actually are having to interact a lot. And I think families at the moment, parents at the moment, they have this split attention. Mm. I mean, the age of the smartphone, we have split attention all the time. Mm. But now particularly, like you're in, you're in each other's space and you're trying to get like a little teasers of space mm. through your phone or, or through something else or I'm going to go folding washing or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. So having, I think about, you know, not unlike the, the eating stuff or the drinking mm. stuff we're talking about, it's like, right, let's be deliberate about it, mm. right? Let's be, let's focus on what we're going to do and with the kids, it's let's sit and play a game mm. where we have to interact mm. and I, I guarantee you, if you do that for for an hour, after that, they, mm. they're going to leave you alone. And they often feel more acknowledged and included and less like they're being pushed to the side or yep. they're not important. It sort of taps into some of that stuff. Yeah. Like making that deliberate choice to do something together. Because I think often when you're trying to juggle everything, you feel like you're interacting with them all day and it's you're you're spending time with them all day, but it's not that focused attention. So so, so what I would think about is it's presentism. Yeah. You're present, but you're absent. Yeah. You're You're physically present, but... Yeah. yeah. So arts and crafts, doing drawings, paintings, Mm. sticking glitter on together. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of stuff. 
where you're forcibly interacting mm. is good and and that breaks that withdrawer pursuer dynamic mm. i was talking about with kids so but look it's just really frustrating as well yeah. like kids talk a lot the final thought i had around it was that children will ask lots of questions but frequently their questions don't really relate to what they're needing mm. at the time yeah. so they'll repeat the question a lot of times which is very frustrating mm. for a parent but really they're trying to ask you a different question about whatever problem it is mm. but they they, they can't put the words yeah, they, to it you know they, yeah. have, they haven't got it and so they'll just repeat it and you say but i just answered that question mm. and then you know it escalates the other thing also is like children don't listen <laughs> no they really don't no. and And so it's really frustrating to put up with that for a parent. Like I've heard a lot of parents at the moment where Mm. they're just like, oh my God, they don't listen Mm. and people are quick to temper around that. So that's where you need as a parent, parents need to be very mindful of their self-care and make sure they get some good sleep. Yeah. It's probably the main thing. Yeah. And be rested because you'll be more tolerant and then... If you're choosing a time to... Something where it's going to require your child to listen to you, Mm. do that at a time when the child's most likely. Doing that at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, don't do that. Recipe for disaster. Right. It's a little bit like the the couple example of working out where the pressure points are and when you should have those conversations. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. And expecting your children to listen to you as they're going to bed or something Mm. it's probably not going to happen so if you revise down your expectations you're probably less likely to get angry Mm. also like i think sometimes we kind of get humans we get very impatient with children but if you ask an adult to pick up their shoes Mm. or do something they wouldn't respond as quickly either no like you think about it's like if you ask oh yeah once i finish doing the dishes yeah yeah. Oh yeah, I'll do that in a sec. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like if you are, like if you think about it, like if you asked your parent-in-law mm. or your parent, yeah, to do that thing, how quick would they respond? But with mm. children, we expect them to do it really, really quickly. And it would be quite dysfunctional if they jumped to every time you said, "Hey, go and do that. Go do that." Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it would be. <laughs> you would view it as you know a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it's worthwhile being easy with children but it's it's very hard it's really hard it's it's not an easy situation and it's also like we talked about in the first two they're under stress as well so yeah. they're going to be more frazzled and less able to focus and things like that yeah. and so you all are it's not um you know even if the kids aren't aware or aren't old enough to properly understand what's going on they're going to know that things are different because people are at home or because they're not going to school. And so then that's going to be, they're going to be off. We had some questions sent to us about parental guilt sent to us by Bronwyn. She sent them to twoshrinkspot.gmail.com. Parents are expressing guilt around not being present enough, Mm. not being kind or patient enough, not being qualified or competent at homeschooling, juggling too many things at once, feeling guilt if they don't nail them all Hmm. how does this play into it like oh what can they do yeah it's it's really tricky when you're trying to juggle work home stuff kids all in the one thing and i think that really plays into this stuff that it's easy to feel like you're not doing well enough at any of those things because you are having to be pulled in all different directions all of the time and it's not really possible to meet the needs of everyone and everything all of the time and at the moment there's so much focus on 
parents homeschooling and doing the right thing and providing their the education that they want their kids to have all the focus is on them yeah expectations expectations yeah exactly and they're not realistic yeah they're and it varies based on where you are even just classroom to classroom or things like that which teacher you have it really varies what the expectation is but then that puts pressure on and makes parents feel sort of guilty and inadequate and out of sorts. Mm. And then that feeds into the problem as well. Yeah, but I think also parents can feel guilty because they genuinely see their children struggling. Yeah. Uh, or, and they are used to be able to sort that out. Mm. And, you know, or it might be you know, parents have yelled at their kids or, mm. you know, or smacked them and they didn't want to do that or whatever mm. it is. And people come in and say, oh, I feel so bad about it. So, you know, I think one part of it is reducing expectations around Mm. what's possible to achieve. The other part is to think about guilt as a function. Mm. And one of the favorite things I learned in my clinical training was guilt is a wasted emotion. (laughs) It doesn't actually help. Hmm. You can. Sit it's not a mobilizing kind of emotion. No, so you can sit and feel guilty hmm. about the fact that you're getting cross at your kids, or that you're not schooling them properly, or that you know you're not a good parent, or you're not as good as the other uh, mums or whatever on the on the Zoom or whatever hmm. it is. Or but let's think about that. Like, does that actually help you? Hmm. You know, if you're anxious, that can be a mobilizing thing, hmm. and there's a, there's a certain point of anxiety. That is helpful. It can mm. tip over and can be unhelpful yeah. as see pods one through 57. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but guilt, like what does that serve? Mm. It doesn't, and it usually just stops people dead. They generally feel bad. And then what happens is they get frustrated mm. with themselves and with others. And then that can sort of be a spiral. So well, they feel sort of hopeless that yeah. nothing's going to change. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, hopeless. Yeah. But, when people, yeah, that, which is even worse. Kind of, this is the way that it is. So yeah. I, I think I think if you're feeling bad about what you are doing, have done, then it's worthwhile thinking like, well, do I want to change some of that stuff? Mm. Like living guilt-free is a problem mm. in terms of say... Psychopathy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. you know, leading leading a, the largest and wealthiest nation in the world yep. and you know continually making errors and not feeling bad about mm. that. Not so good. But not so good. But in terms of... If you're at home and really drilling down on yourself because your kids have had a bad day mm. and because, you know, maybe you didn't do something right. Yeah, like we're all human and mistakes can be made mm. and it doesn't mean that tomorrow's going to be a bad day. So I think there's a lowering expectations around what can be achieved. Mm. And then there's if you're getting caught in that guilt cycle, then it's about, is this really relevant? Mm. Like, How to sort of step back from it a little bit and like, have a look at the broad picture yeah. and go, hmm, do I need and, and think, this? And, and, and think about the nice, most people have had someone who really loves them in their life. Hmm. Their mum, their dad, a, a sibling, a, a partner. And what would they say? They say, oh, come on, you're being silly. Hmm. Like you're doing a good job. And we won't really want to hear that, but hmm. that's actually kind of that nice thing that you want to hear. And I think that's so sort of self-compassion. Yeah. To iron it out. Yeah. Yeah. So last one. Last one. Last one is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder mm-hmm. or ADHD. So why might someone with this problem hmm. or, or that kind of attentional problem where they find it difficult to concentrate, attend to stuff, all the problems that come with that, Mm. what might they be experiencing at the moment and why might 
it's a real struggle for people who are trying to work at home or do school work for you know, kids and teens who have this issue because it's so much more unstructured to start with you know the time is far more more open there's less prompting from external people the environment isn't set up in the same way so it's really unstructured it is hard for everybody to focus just Mm. as a as a baseline a lot of people who are working at home are struggling with this who don't usually have attentional issues Mm. there's a lot of distractions there's you know things around you that you could be doing instead and you don't often have those things at school or at work or Mm. there's you know, fewer of them. You can't see the pile of washing you should be folding or can't see the Netflix tab on your computer, whatever it might be, then they're not right in front of you. So I think that's part of it. As we've spoken about with some of the others, it's also that regulating thing. You know, you might have strategies that to focus at work, you need to get up and walk to the waiting room or walk around the building or whatever it might be to be able to then sit down and do the next task Mm. you might not have that option where you are if you can't move or you might not have the resources that are in a classroom like a lot of kids with this issue have things like an unstable chair so they can wobble on the chair so that then they're moving but it doesn't make a sound it doesn't bother anyone but they're continually moving if their wobbly chair is at school they're going to find it hard to concentrate. Poor buggers. I know. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really tricky. It's and I think it comes back to that lowering expectations. It comes back to working out how you can do some of that stuff at home. Yeah. And working out what it is that that worked for you before and how how that might function. Yeah. The other thing is is that if you're used to working in an environment with lots of people, it's probably the other people that prompt you to get back to work sometimes as well. Yeah. <laughs> for kids in particular. They're not going to have that as much of that feedback from parents and things like that if the parents are working. Or I'm imagining like if you're an adult or something that suffers from that thing, the noise and the clutter might serve a function of Mm. redirecting you. Mm. Whereas I'm imagining a room that's silent and being incredibly overwhelmed by that. Mm. Yeah. And because also, you know, there's a form of ADHD that, people have a lot of daydreams and things like that and you know if you don't have those external prompts to kind of bring you back to the room of someone saying billy what are you doing Mm. it's easy to sit there for a long time looking out the window and daydreaming so i think it's quite quite difficult and difficult to get things done in this kind of environment imagine it would be difficult just tying back onto the family stuff Mm. families who perhaps have a child that's got this problem Mm. And then they're suddenly in their space 24-7 now mm. versus, say, just the weekends. Exactly. I, I could imagine that being really difficult for people. And the tricky thing is with something like ADHD is when it's not well regulated or well controlled, then for kids in particular, it comes out as quote-unquote naughty behaviour. It comes out with sort of outbursts of emotion or with breaking things or a lot of accidents or things kind of going wrong. And so you can see how that would fit into that family frustration as well. Of, yeah. yeah. yeah parents really like struggling. Box really yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the, the one thing is depending on where you are and if you're a kid, there's often a lot of support or funding or resources around ADHD if you have that diagnosis okay, and you're yeah. a kid. And so I know that a lot of schools are trying to work out how to do that remotely how to provide some of those things because they know that this is a group of kids who are really going to be struggling Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not ADHD is not something I've really worked with. So. Yeah. Mo- most of the time for me, it's that I work with people who have ADHD plus trauma. Yeah. So right. it's teasing apart what's what's what and how to regulate things. That sounds fascinating. We should talk about that. It is. It's really interesting. Yes. Uh, So we hope you've enjoyed that uh, rather large range Mm. of uh, across the spectrum of mental health problems and how a psychologist might work with all of those kinds of things. We wanted to finish off this discussion with sort of briefly just on like how, how to help someone you care about who has some of these issues struggling mm. with this kind of stuff because we're you know short for time mm. like top amy's top tip uh asking them what they need okay. if they're a adult or someone who's old enough to be able to tell you yep. asking what would be helpful um keeping in touch and making it okay that they can get help if they need to yeah so saying are you going okay? And if they're not, then kind of going, can I help you link in with someone? So I'm going to challenge you on that. Yeah. Are you okay? Isn't a great question. What you need is a terrible question. Yeah. I guess I'm meaning in terms of, you know, some people want to be left alone or some people need more contact or some people, they feel crowded by too much contact or too much checking or too much reassuring. Mm. And I mean, it helps if you know the person well and you can have a conversation about that. But I get what you mean, that if it's too broad, mm. then some people are just going to go nothing or I don't know. Yeah. Or I mean, it's too I, much. I, th- I think perhaps I was like, oh, you know, oh, I'm worried about you or like what's working for you, what's not. Mm. Is there any way I can help? Mm. But it could be a different way of approaching it. Mm. You know, I think psychologists, we have a, it's always about having multiple questions. That to you get at the same get, issue. To get the same issue, mm. yeah. So. Yeah. What about you? What comes to mind mm. about how to help someone you care about? I think I go to practical. Mm. So thinking about what's the practical things. So is it dropping food off? Is it the social phone call contact kind of stuff? I think about like if you're living with someone and they've got a problem that they do struggle with, I guess it's about having a bit of a dialogue mm. around how how things are going which i guess is probably sound like i'm repeating what you did sorry but well because i think it is quite you know without stepping into the role of turning into your family member or friend's therapist some of it is helping to talk about what's going on or Mm. helping them to work out what it is that's going to get things moving a bit for them but i think also the other thing i think about is connection Mm. so as as the counter to that which is the opposite of a therapist is a friend Mm. And doing things together. Hmm. And meaningful connection, not just where it's you checking up on them. Yeah. So like if your partner is struggling because they have a history of trauma or hmm. they have, you know, problems with depression or, or ADHD or something, you know, ensuring that you've got that component of, you know, what your relationship it was built on. Hmm. Like go back to that. Yeah. Yeah, Find do that, that thing. And do that thing. Mm. And reconnect in, in that way. And that, that in of itself is healing. Mm. But also the other thing, like if you're an outsider watching it, mm. it'll be frustrating. Yeah. And to remember that that's your problem, not theirs. Mm. And that you getting angry at them will invariably make things worse. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's managing your own stuff around that yeah. and your own frustrations. Yeah. 
exactly mm. right. Yeah. Shall we take a break? So, yeah, we are going to take a break and we'll be back with things we came across. See you soon. Suggest reasonable explanations for things. What were you saying about your hair? <laughs> I am really frustrated with it because it it needs a cut. But the problem is, is that the last time I had a cut, I had a cut by someone who I don't usually see and she didn't listen to my instructions <laughs> and she cut it too short. Yeah. And so now I'm in that thing of like, do I wait longer? So then you when I right, have so a cut... So listen, there's Amy's hair currently is in, there, in this awkward... <laughs> It's like it's just below the shoulder and she either needs to push on through and grow it to her waist <laughs> or she gets it cut nice and trim. Whereas like I it's had, not going to my no. waist. <laughs> but so I had, whereas like I had, I go back to work and had the opportunity to set up telehealth. <laughs> and after like a day of doing that, I'm like, I am getting mm. my hair cut because I can't look at how scruffy my hair is. I'm so doing I, a so lot I, of... I managed to get that done. So that was, that was Yeah. Good. Well, the problem is my hairdresser isn't... They're phasing in hairdressers into the salon and putting them on a limited roster so it's not busy. <laughs> and mine hasn't started yet. Uh. And I refuse to see the person I saw last time. <laughs> and so I've been doing a lot of having it curly because yep. then you can't see that it needs a cut because of the waves. <laughs> so curly and then when needed trimming my own fringe. So if you wanted to actually look at what Amy and I look like, you could go to twoshrinkspod.com and we've mm. got, there is a little bio section and, but there's also a coping with COVID-19 section that we've put up some resources. But the, my favorite bit of it is that we've got the podcast episodes all lined up from in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Amy has been running diligently a page that is podcast by topic. Mm. So you can search for something in yeah, particular. So if you want to look at like, we you know, what interviews did, did we do? Or, you know, I want to see what we've done on personality disorders or, mm. or whatever it is, then you can check that out. And there's also like things that came across have also been listed. So that's, that's my favorite. Exactly. Thing. I enjoy that too. We need to do another episode of those. Definitely do. You can also contact us at twoshrinkspod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Or Twitter, which I have been given the reins to. And I think that initially I felt quite, you know, nice about the idea. And then I've realized that actually it was Hunter's way of getting me on Twitter because I wasn't joining otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and that now... Pretty much, it's just the two of us chatting to another me to his personal <laughs> account. I, through I refrain. Two I refrain from um, liking the two shrinks pod tweets because I think that people who follow my my personal Twitter account just think that I'm liking my own tweet. Well, there was that comment a while ago about that, <laughs> but we're at two shrinks pod on Twitter as and well. If you can rate and review the show, mm. uh, yeah, 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 I'm sure you're rolling your eyes. But seriously, if you can do that, rate reviews really help on mm. on uh, Apple Podcasts and, and rating it as well. Uh, that really helps people. Mm. But if you like the show and you've been finding these, please tell someone about it, link it to your social media, do that thing because that's the way that uh, more people hear about us and you know with the coping with COVID series Amy and I have really been keen to I guess trying to do a bit of public service mm. you know we like this pod but the era of podcasting shows that the power and the usefulness of this kind of stuff so and we've had some great feedback from people saying that they have really found these couple of these episodes really really helpful mm. and you know that really makes us very happy so. it does yeah shall we get back to it 
You didn't even interrupt me. What's going on? I didn't. I know. It's because you got me thinking about, I like the whole time you were talking, I was thinking, I wonder when my hairdresser Ash is coming back because I miss her. Perfect. And could she just come back because I need a haircut? Two drinks, both. <laughs> Make more consistent our description of what we see. As it gets wider and wider and we see a greater range of phenomena, the explanations become what we call laws instead of simple explanations. You look way too laid back to be about to start recording and you're way too far away from your microphone. Um, we're back from the break. <laughs> Amy's still annoyed that I, I managed to subvert her thinking she thinks that she's a better therapist, but really, I can hold my own. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Whatever you need to believe. <laughs> so, things we came across is the part of the pod where we take a uh, load off. Uh, ha- um, happy days. Cheers. Amy's drinking some red and I've cracked a beer. And we kind of relax a little bit. Hmm. So, most ambitious lockdown project? Yes. I was going to ask you that first. Uh, I gotcha. Yeah, you really did. <laughs> I think I think the most ambitious thing for me has been ordering a new bed and constructing it <laughs> solo. <laughs> because, you know, both in terms of the weight, um, the amount of bruises on my legs from holding up one side of the bed with one leg while holding up the other side with the other and hammering it in <laughs> it was a debacle yeah. and the 60 screws that had to go into the bed frame left me with blisters on my hands it was yeah. a whole process oh, so i think that's my most ambitious one attempting to assemble a queen size bed yeah I once, on my own i, I once deconstructed one of my children's ikea bunks mm. and just by myself and the moment that I realized that I should have done that with another person <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, was about two-thirds of the way through <laughs> when I'd, uh, I was deconstructing it so I could give it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I was left... <laughs> I left myself basically holding the entire top bit of the bunk and there was one strut. Yeah. And if I dropped it, it would break and, and all the effort would be for naught. Yes. And it was, uh, I don't even know how I managed to get it. Probably with a leg. Sorry? Was it involving a leg holding, like, did you use one of your legs to hold up part oh, of it the bed? Was, it was, it was, you, was it you, know, yoga you know those move? videos that they show you on your training, you know, the manual handling and training mm. things when you first started an the organization? Do not it, do. It was the epitome of the do not do video. <laughs> yeah. At one point I had the bed frame balancing on my head and I went, yeah, this is yeah. not so good. Yep. yep. <laughs> but it's working. Yeah. yeah. So it's a bit, of a, a bit of a journey. You, you had to return a mattress. I did. And that mattress, mattress weighed, weighed 55 kilos. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I worked hard, but now... It's there and it's never leaving. (laughs) She bolted it to the floor. (laughs) Yep. If I move out, it stays there. How about you? Most ambitious project? Oh, God. Uh, I've been doing a bit of home brewing. Mm. Have you tasted it yet or not? I know. Probably a week week or two away Mm. before I can try one. Generally reluctant to try them early. I lived Mm. with a housemate who, as soon as as it was like on paper, you could drink it. He would. (laughs) Even if it was disgusting. (laughs) And, you know, homebrew is not 
let's face it it's not mm. that great in fact my brother sent me a, a new segment before saying um titled couple dies after drinking homebrew to get around tough coronavirus <laughs> restrictions <laughs> this is in uh, south africa but yeah because <laughs> i think he's bottling beer tonight okay um I haven't, I haven't done that many projects, I don't mm. think. I kind of, I think my main project is getting into a routine of keeping the house tidy. Mm. Uh, I haven't managed that. What about something new that you've been doing or that's been happening that you want to keep once we're out of lockdown? I don't know. I mean, I've really been enjoying, enjoying the family time. Mm. I think that's been fun. You know, and I think what I've been enjoying is getting into cooking and doing that kind of stuff. Mm. And I had a so I had a bit of an iMac issue where my iMac. Is an understatement? Look, iMacs and gravity and a floor don't really work well together. <laughs> Long story short, it's down, it's in the repair shop. And I had a lovely conversation with Sean from uh, Toronto mm. on, on Apple support because somehow <laughs> I got put through to Apple support North America huh, nice. rather than uh, Australia. Anyway, and he was telling me, he's a chef. And so he was saying his little project had been to be doing date night with his partner because mm. he's aspiring to be a chef and do a food truck once Corona yep. finishes. Cute. And so he can stop doing tech support. And what they were doing is they were recreating their favorite meals from restaurants that mm. they'd been to. Which I thought was a really good idea. That's nice. So, I like that. And so he, he was being doing a croque monsieur. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I know, which made me want to just uh, do that straight away. Yeah. What would be the if you restaurant meal that if I said, Amy, restaurant meal, you, uh, you're going to recreate? No. Recreate well or that I would want to recreate? Uh, both. Because that's kind of different. You can do one or either. Either or. The one that I think that I would want to recreate and that I know doesn't exist anymore. And so, you know, I can't have it otherwise. So maybe it's worth giving it a shot. This is where I'm going to fade up some, like, Schindler's List violin yeah. music or something. Yeah. It's a, a cello, isn't it, anyway? A very late night bar in Melbourne that is um, outfitted exclusively with brown leather Chesterfield sofas. Mm. Mm used to do this beautiful lemon tart and it just it was the perfect texture and everything about it was just absolutely delightful and then it disappeared from their menu and I looked it up the other day to see whether maybe it had gone back on and maybe they were doing takeaway because I really yeah. wanted it it was not there Lip tarts aren't that hard to make, though. No, but it was the texture of it, which I've never had one like it before. Mm. I, I used to get it a lot. And <laughs> I I have never had something they, that was so like light. see you one time and just like got it out yes, for you? Yes, yeah, that is right. correct. That's, that's, yes, uh, because that's I would impressive. always go at the same time. And yeah, it was just, it was just beautiful. And now it's gone. Mm. So that, that specific lemon tart. Yeah. How about you? Oh, God. So you pose these questions and they're quite difficult. I don't know why it's coming to my mind, but I had this great takeaway burrito in San Francisco one time. <laughs> mm. uh, but yeah, I don't know. I've got no idea. Mm. <laughs> I'm just going to go with that. Yeah, I like it. And something, so something I'd like to keep when lockdown ends? Yeah, I don't know. I think just yeah, just doing that cooking and, and uh, hanging, hanging out with the kids, I think it's been, mm. been fun. I've been more deliberately relaxing because I've been wanting to delineate between work and home. Mm -hmm. So making like a conscious effort of I'm going to do an activity, not I'm just going to get home and lie on the couch and happen to fall asleep. 
So that's been quite nice. And I've also managed to keep plants alive for the first time in my life <laughs> and so if i can keep them alive but yes it's going quite well and i have an array of herbs and indoor plants it's it's very satisfying shall we wrap up let's do that all right we will catch you next time for another cripping with covid yep. style so what, what we're going to do is we're going to do one on uh healthcare workers and the issues that healthcare workers may be hmm. coping with at the current time but yeah if you like the show twostringspod.com email us Tell someone about us. We'll see you next time. Bye.